Welcome to The Secrets of the Self-Made, the podcast that takes you behind the scenes of some of the most successful and inspiring entrepreneurs and self-made individuals. Join us as we delve into the stories of those who have achieved great success, uncovering the secrets that allowed them to overcome challenges, push through obstacles, and ultimately achieve their dreams. From business magnets to creative geniuses, we explore the traits, habits, and mindsets that set these individuals apart and offer valuable insights and practical advice for anyone seeking to achieve their own success. Sit back, relax, and prepare to discover the secrets of the self-made. Welcome back to the Secrets of the Self-Made. I am so excited to have Anne Garcia here today. Anne and I have been talking before we started the recording because we have so many things in common. But what Anne does is she helps families save millions of dollars on college. She is a fee-only certified financial planner and author of How to Pay for College. So Anne works with families of all shapes and sizes to really balance out their educational goals with all of the other priorities that they might have. So welcome, Anne. I'm so excited that you're here. Thank you for having me, Tracy. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. So um, first off, I spent quite a bit of time on Anne's website. It is a wealth of information. So I know that I have a lot of listeners that fall into that demographic of, you know, having kids who are quickly approaching these college age years. And so they will for sure find a wealth of information on this website. But I'm curious, um, How, if, you know, I'm sure when people know what you do for a living, it's probably one of the biggest questions you get. Like, how can I plan when I don't know what the costs are going to be, or I don't know where my kids are going to want to go or where they're going to get accepted? How do you answer that question? Yeah. And I think that's one of the most frustrating things for families that college seems like the ultimate moving goalposts goal, right? Because Private colleges can cost 80 plus thousand dollars a year, you know, public colleges, 25, there's scholarships, there's community college, there's, there's everything else. So the guidance I give to families is prepare for what you can prepare for. So save what you can. Um, You know, I think too often as financial advisors, we say, oh, well, you're, you want your kids to go to private college. $80,000 a year times 6% inflation times four years times, you know, this many years to college. So you need to save $2,000 a month if you want to do that. And (laughs) most people that is not, (laughs) that is not possible for one child, let alone if you have two or three or, or, or four, and they tend to just stick their head in the sand and throw up their, you know, throw up their hands in despair and say, we just can't do this. I think, you know, whatever, whatever your budget is, there are pathways through college at that budget. And I truly mean whatever your budget is. My son has a um, friend who just finished up her 
degree for $0 from Arizona State because she worked at Starbucks and she had a budget of $0 for college. And Starbucks has a um, program for its employees to get a degree online through Arizona State. She's doing her student teaching now. And in the fall, she will be a teacher. And she paid, again, $0 to get her degree. Many families would like their kids to have more choices than that. And, um, and so the best thing you can do to give your child a good set of choices is to save because more savings gives you more choices. Now that doesn't mean you have to create unlimited possibilities for your children. I think it's really important to balance college against your other priorities. And so kind of my rule of thumb for savings is this, if you are not saving for retirement, you're not saving for college. (laughs) You know, you need to retirement savings is a, is a bigger priority than college savings. If you're saving for retirement, but not maxing out and this year, not maxing out. If you're under 50 is, you know, 22,000, $500 to your 401k. So if you're not doing that, then only 10% of what you're putting into retirement should be put into, into college savings. So if you're saving $10,000 a year for retirement, that's $1,000 a year for college. If you want to save more for college, increase your retirement savings. The thing that you'll find is whatever your college budget is, there are pathways to get, to get your child through college Um, for that budget, as long as you're okay with them. If you're someone who's maybe your kids are in middle school, now's a really good time to look at what your budget is, you know, project what your current savings rate is going to translate to when they graduate from high school and how much can you pay for out of call out of pocket. And um, has anyone else said they're going to help you? Are you eligible for education tax credits? Are you okay with student loans? And look at that number and say, am I okay with the pathways that 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 creates for for my child, and if not, you have six years to adjust, and that may be adjusting financially, saving more, figuring out more dollars you can car- carve out of your budget. It may be adjusting your expectations, um, and 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 more importantly, getting ahead of your kids with what your expectations for them for college are. Because the the hard part is you know, your student needs to have a high level of agency in the college selection process, but you need to provide some guardrails to it. You know, there is no other financial decision we make where cost doesn't inform that decision. It informs how much we spend on a house, what cars we buy and all that. And yet for some reason we seem to think, oh, well, anything's, anything's fine for college. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So do you have any hard and fast rules on like, first steps? Like, I'm wondering if I was to grab your book, does it take me through this step-by-step? Here's where you start. You should start with having the conversation with your child, you know, barring that they're at an age where they have some sense of what they may want to do or where they may want to go. Or does the first, is this first step really looking at your financial situation and starting there and letting that inform the conversation that you're going to have with your child? Yeah. So my, so my book is a step-by-step process to build out a financial plan for college. With that being said, financial planning for college is equal parts financial planning and parenting. And to me, the first step is to have you know, to, to think deeply about what your values are with respect to education. You know, if you, if it's a household with two parents, get yourselves on the same page. 
about what your expectations are of your children. You know, are, are we hundred percent? Absolutely. You're going to college is college. One of the options we want available to you. Do we really not care at all what you do after you graduate from high school? Do we have strong, you know, assuming that we want college to be part of the pathway, do we have strong feelings about what types of college we want to make available to our kid? And the good news is all types of college experiences are available at all different price points. I have twins. My daughter's at a private college. My son's at a public college. We're paying about the same for both of them to go to those um, to those colleges. So, so the fact that your dollars aren't whatever doesn't mean doors are you know, doors are closing to you. Once, you know, from there, you know, once you're kind of on the same page from that, then there's a, a, a balance of financial tasks and parenting tasks. I think the best place to get started on the financial tasks is to open a 529 account. Um, ideally you open it up and you set up a monthly contribution that automatically gets pulled out of your bank account and, into your 529 account of some amount that works. One of the really nice things about 529 accounts is they're very flexible and accept very low contributions. You know, typically $10, $5, $20 is, is the minimum amount that you can contribute at a time. Um, whatever amount it is, will get you ahead of the game. Um, kids whose families have saved for college, not only enroll at col- in college at higher rates, but they graduate from college at, at higher rates. And, and that's even with small, small amounts of, of savings. Yeah. Because they've, they've started with a, with a feeling with like some sort of decision having been met and, and, or yeah. being made and, and that, you know, can't be overlooked. The importance of just making even the tiniest decision, even if it's the tiniest contribution, you've made that decision to open up that savings and, and be consistent with um, adding to it. So I love that advice. Yeah. How- and, you know, if this is something important to you, you need to be disciplined and intentional in how you, in how you approach it. And that means finding money in your budget and dedicating that money to it. Yeah. Do you have any strong opinions on um, student loans and the um, balance of parent student contribution to that tuition? So, so I would say a couple of things. Number one, college is such a big investment that I think it's perfectly reasonable for students to have some skin in the game. And my book has a whole chapter about how you structure that, what's, you know, how you might do it in different, in different ways. Student loans in particular, I think, you know, if you look at the news media today, you'd think that taking out a student loan is a one-way ticket to the poorhouse. And in fact, there are specific groups who struggle with student loans. Those are, you know, people, specific groups, people who go to graduate school and take out big loans for not terribly lucrative careers. There are the people who go to for-profit colleges, you know, those ones that you hear being sued by the Department of Education because they're creating degrees that aren't worth the paper they're printed on. And another group is people who enroll in college, take out student loans and don't graduate. The group of students who goes to a four-year college, graduates, and takes out the federal direct student loan, which is the the loan that a student can take out, there's a capped amount every year, the cohort default rate for that student loan is very, very low. It's in the single digits. Mm -hmm. If you were to take out that loan every year, the maximum amount, your monthly payment 
once you're, once you graduate would be around $325 a month for 10 years, and then you'd be done with it. That is more than covered by the earnings gap between college graduates and, and people who, who don't get degrees. So I think for a student where that's the difference between, you know, taking out a student loan is the difference between going to college and not going to college. I think that's a, a good choice. I think for a student where the student loan is the difference between going to a college that's a great fit and going to a college that's maybe not so good a fit where they might not graduate, they might take five years, which costs a whole lot more than four years, <laughs> they might transfer and lose out on financial aid. I think that a student loan can be a good choice um, in that space, in, in, in that circumstance as well. Where you get, where things get risky is where students borrow outside the federal loan programs. And that's risky not only because it's expensive for them when they graduate, and that might not be covered by the cost of, um, by the incremental earnings of a degree holder, but also because the federal direct student loan is the only loan that a student can take out without their parent co-signing it. So that's the only loan that they are wholly responsible for. Anything else just about parents are probably going to have to co-sign. And that means that you are equally responsible for that debt. Right. Yeah. So Anne and I are similar in the fact that we had, and still does have two children in college and I have one left in college, but one just graduated and go knowing that, you know, we have children that are 14 months apart. We made a decision on how much we were going to put towards their college education and then said, and anything above that, you know, you're going to be responsible for, and you can look, you know, you can, in, you know, put your, invest your time and energy into getting the scholarships. Um, my son played baseball. So he was really looking at schools that he could potentially get a sports scholarship at. Um, but they allowed that to, really heavily, you know, dictate where they, the schools that they were going to consider. Um, my son wanted to go, wanted to play baseball and he really did want to go to a smaller school. Um, he ended up going to a faith-based school where he ended up, it was student body, I think is 3,200 people. So he was kind of a big fish in a small pond. He, that was perfect for him and his style of learning where my daughter was like 3,200 people. Are you kidding me? That's, that's like, like high school again. Yeah, that's the size <laughs> of the class she graduated high school with. And she's like, oh no, oh no. And so she decided to go to a state school. Well, the cost of the tuitions are vastly different, but they knew that going in. And my son made his decision based on the fact that he'd be okay with having some student loans coming out of school and that he would be responsible for paying back. And my daughter ended up not having any because she took the budget and worked within that budget. And, um, you know, they're both so happy with their decisions. They made it understanding who they were as people, how they learn best, you know, what kind of social environment they needed, um, and then what they were willing to have in regards to a debt coming out of school. And it really, you know, your numbers are so encouraging. It's really not that daunting um, when you look at that bigger picture. So for what it's worth, that's how we handled it. Um, and I, I love, and you should, you should um, give your scenario because I think yours is fascinating as well. Like I know you touched on it. But the fact that you're not paying much of a difference, that their tuitions are very, very close, 
I think is so interesting. One's even at a private school. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, we did a similar thing with you where we told our kids what their, what their college budget was and, and that they would be responsible for anything above that. Um, Fortunately or unfortunately for them, they'd heard so much dinner table talk over the years of the horrifying stories I met of people with, with really terrible student loan debt that um, they felt pretty strongly about staying within their, (laughs) within, within their budget. And, uh, you know, and, and so they both did my son, you know, we're flip-flop. My son is at a large state school. My daughter is at a a smaller private school. Um, and, and we just, you know, we use the tools that are, that are in my book to, to guide our college search. You know, here's our budget. We, you know, we, we did the net price calculators for all the schools that my daughter was, was interested in applying to and eliminated a lot of colleges just, you know, just on, on that basis. Um, and, you know, and she was fortunate that just the way that scholarships and financial aid are packaged at the school that she chose, got it to within, within our budget. And I will say for parents who are looking at this and saying, well, private colleges cost 80,000 plus dollars a year. I could never do that. My daughter attends the world's most expensive university. And of all the colleges she applied to and was accepted at, it was her second cheapest choice because the school is so generous with financial aid and, and scholarships. So don't let the list price chase you away. Colleges are all required to have a tool on their website called a net price calculator, lets you plug in your family's financial information and sometimes your students' academic information, and it'll tell you what students like you pay to go to that college this year. And so that can be a really, a really helpful tool in managing your college, your college list. Yeah. And then talk about scholarships and um, do you recommend, I'm guessing you do recommend starting with the school first and then maybe branching out beyond that and looking at outside scholarships? And, and if so, how do you go about that? Yeah, great question. So, so there's, there's, three big types of scholarships out there. Um, Two come from the colleges themselves. So institutional need-based aid and institutional merit aid. Um, And then outside scholarships are the the third kind of scholarship. But most students will find that they will get the largest scholarships from the colleges themselves. Um, Need-based aid is is just your ability to pay is less than the cost of attendance. And your ability to pay means the amount that the FAFSA or the CSS profile says you can pay. So for those who aren't familiar with it, the FAFSA and the CSS profile are the two financial aid forms. The FAFSA is the federal form. The CSS profile is used by some private schools. And with those, you enter information about your income and your assets, your student's income, your student's assets, um, the CSS profile, you'll include information about things like your home equity, um, anyone else's 529 that's available for college, you know, things like that. And those will, each of those will calculate a number that it says your family can pay for college. That number is usually pretty horrifying, but, um, but that is what the formulas say you can pay. If that number is less than the cost of attendance at a college, then you could be eligible for scholarships on the basis of financial need. Now, just being eligible for scholarships on the basis of financial need does not mean you're going to get them because colleges are under no obligation to provide that need. And that's where those net price calculators are are really helpful to get a sense of what your financial aid package is likely to, to look like. Now, institutional 
merit aid is a very different animal from need-based aid. Need-based aid can be scholarships and grants. It can also be loans. It can be work study. Um, They can combine, you know, state and federal funds. So there are pretty strict rules about how that gets allocated. Merit-based aid is the university's own money or the college's own money that they use to attract the kind of students that they want to enroll. And a huge range of colleges offer merit scholarships, kind of everyone other than the Ivy Leagues and the Ivy Plus schools, so to speak. Public colleges offer merit scholarships. Most private colleges offer merit scholarships. Um, and, and those are largely offered to good students. Um, um, you know, we always think of athletic scholarships, but really the mathletes clean up on the scholarship side of, of the ledger. One thing I learned as a parent, sadly too late, is that oftentimes merit scholarships are awarded on the basis of unweighted GPA. So um, so my son, for example, took a lot of AP and IB courses that he did not knock it out of the park in. <laughs> um, had we maybe chosen a, a, a less difficult path for him through high school, he would have gotten quite a bit more in scholarships. So to the extent that scholarships are important to you and you have specific colleges in mind, it's always a good idea to look at what basis they award those, those scholarships on. But scholarships come from things other than just academics. Um, my son, for example, has a scholarship for playing video games. You're kidding. No, I'm not kidding. <laughs> he's on a he's on a varsity esports team. Oh, and and yeah, and this is a big thing. A lot of colleges offer these um, these scholarships now. Um, yeah, every teen boy's dream, right? <laughs> But other, you know, other scholarships can be for things like, you know, a lot of colleges will offer scholarships to students whose parents are police or firefighters or teachers or other, you know, specific career paths. They might offer scholarships to students who live within a certain radius of the college or conversely, you know, small private colleges like where your son goes. They love to be able to say they have students from all 50 states. They might have 49 and you might be the student from the 50th state. And if that's the case, they're probably going to offer you something really nice to try to get you to, um, to, to enroll. So there are lots of reasons why students get merit scholarships. The good news with both need-based and merit scholarships is your application and your FAFSA and your CSS profile will get you in the running for most of the scholarships at your school. It's always a good exercise to go back to the school's scholarship page and find out if there are additional scholarships that you can apply for. So my daughter, for example, there was one college she was interested in. We did the net price calculator. It was outside of her budget. She found out that there was another scholarship there that she could apply for that was $20,000 a year and that she had a reasonable chance of getting. So she applied to that college and applied for the scholarship um, and and did end up up getting it. She didn't ultimately choose choose that college. So the other, and, and I think those are the best starting points, the institutional grants, because that's where the big dollars are. You know, it's not unusual for those grants to start at $20,000 a year and, and go up from there. Outside scholarships are another pool. So those are scholarships that come from any place other than the college itself. Um, you know, they can come from Rotary. They can come from club sports. They can come from professional organizations. Those can be great for closing the gap between your budget and a college that's a little ways outside your budget. They are not the thing that makes an $80,000 cut college fit a $20,000 budget. 
They could be the difference between taking out a student loan and not taking out a student loan. But those are, you know, outside scholarships are typically in the single digit thousands, not the double digit thousands. And there are great scholarships out there. I'm not saying disregard them. I'm just saying don't don't make that your, your, don't your main college plan. <laughs> yeah. I love the fact that's such good advice. Like start with the school and then use those outside scholarships as a way to kind of fill that gap. That is such great advice as everything that you have given us today. I can um, only imagine what a wealth of information the book is. So I'm curious. So you're a financial planner by trade mm-hmm. and you created this masterclass and you wrote the book. Was this kind of a passion project? What is this something that you were challenged to do by from the firm you work for? What what prompted you to do that? The fact that you have twins and you knew this was coming? <laughs> all of all of the above. So so my long story is I grew up in Silicon Valley. My dad was a consultant to entrepreneurs and he always talked about, you know, finding that one thing that you can do and, and having it be be your thing. Early in my career as an advisor, um, the first firm I worked at, one of the partners came to me one day and said, you know, one of our clients is asking questions about college and I don't know anything about it and I don't want to learn anything about it. And so do you want to figure this out? And I said, sure, (laughs) because I thought I'm a parent. I need to know this I, you know, I need to know this myself. And so, um, so I started researching the topic and found that I was answering these questions for more and more families over time. Um, and, and so, so I, so I started just writing the answers down so that when the question came up, you know, copy, paste, email, send. And, and then I realized there was a whole universe of people who needed this information and who weren't coming to financial advisors to get it. And so as a new year's resolution, I, um, I decided I was going to convert all this into a blog. That was been about 10 years now that I've, um, that I've written a, a weekly blog post on, um, on college planning. When the pandemic came up, I had the, um, an opportunity came kind of out of left field for me to convert it all into a book. And I had a lot of people who read my blog who were like, is this a book somewhere? Because I would like this to be more organized for me. And so, and so the book, the book and the masterclass kind of came, came out of that. And the book can be found anywhere the books can be. Purchased. Anywhere the books are sold. So Amazon, bookshop.org, um, your local, your local bookshop should, um, should be able to get it. Okay. And so as all of my listeners know, we are all about getting into the minds of these self-made success stories, which Anne is definitely an an example of what it means to be self-made. She jumped right in there. She took responsibility for the results that she wanted to create in her life and of course impact her family's life. And she told me before we started recording that, you know, one of the things that she's really most proud of is just being a student of her own work. Like she created this body of work that helps other people and gave them kind of best practices, but she put those best practices into play and it worked for her. And so she has great results from that. So I'm super curious, Anne, like, can you think back to when all of this kind of started, when you got real intentional about this, you know, initiative of, 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 you know, impacting people's lives with this work, what was the thought or what was that belief that really, you know, fueled you? 
you know, can you think about what that might have been? Yeah, well, I would say part of it came from I, I was talking a lot with two groups of people. One was parents who were like, I don't know what to do about this. I just know it's a big expense. And another was young adults who had just graduated from college and had borrowed so much to go to college that they were struggling with sort of the basic building blocks of adult life, you know, saving for retirement, buying a home, some in some cases, even having emergency savings because of their student loan debt. And I thought if I could help that first group, I'll hopefully talk with less of that second, second group. Um, and I, and I really, as a parent felt very strongly about my own kids, not ending up in, um, in, in that group. So that was kind of the, the aha moment, um, for me was realizing that, you know, that this was, that this was a real problem that, that if I didn't deal with it myself, um, my kids could be on a pathway to, to that problem. Um, and, uh, and that certainly lots and lots of other parents had. Yeah. So this is a problem that I can solve. This is a, you know, solution that's going to help all sorts of people. And how did that make you feel? Like, what was the feeling that really drove you to start the blog, to then listen to the readers, organize the blog, publish the book, start the, start the, um, masterclass? What, what would you say is the emotion that fueled all of those behaviors? Yeah. Well, I feel like, I mean, we're parents, we know we would do anything for our kids, and I wanted, I, I really wanted my kids to have great opportunities um, for their education. And, and I wanted them to be opportunities that open doors rather than close them. Because what I was seeing was people for whom the doors had all been, been closed as a result of, um, of, of, their, of their college planning. Um, I love the success stories that I hear from clients. I love... Um, that they feel like, like they're succeeding, not just financially, but they're succeeding as parents and, and that they're laying the groundwork for, for the next generation to, to succeed in in life as well. Yeah. So just kind of this generosity and, you know, giving of yourself and being of service is, I think like such a great feeling, you know, at being able to add value to other people's lives and provide these opportunities that they otherwise may have not have had, had they not, you know, come across your path. So um, the secret to your self-made success is going to be illustrated very clearly on the show notes um, for anybody who wants to check that out. Also, for sure, check out her website and her book and her masterclass. And this has been such a wealth of information. I really, really appreciate you taking the time and sharing what you know and your passion with my audience. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Hopefully we will talk soon and uh, come back to Secrets of the Self-Made next time where we will share more secrets that start always with a belief that leads to a feeling driving the behaviors and getting the results, the intentional results that people want. We'll talk to you soon. struggling to achieve your goals? Do you find yourself getting sidetracked by distractions and obstacles along the way? It's time to take control of your mind and harness the power of self-control with Mind Over Matter. 
this three-hour program is packed with practical strategies and techniques to help you overcome challenges, stay focused, and achieve your goals. With expert guidance and real-world examples, you'll learn how to train your mind to stay on track and avoid the pitfalls that can derail your progress. Whether you're looking to improve your health, build your business, or reach any other goal, Mind Over Matter is the solution you've been searching for. So why wait? Sign up now and start achieving the success you deserve. Go to www.selfmadeyou.com.